everybody. Isn't it a blessing to be here today together? How blessed we are. It's not this way everywhere in the world right now. But we're blessed to be able to come and worship God and study his word and teach his word openly and without fear of any kind of reprisal from government authorities or somebody who just doesn't like what we're saying, what we're teaching, or what we're doing. We're very thankful, and we need to be thankful and never take this blessing for granted. If you're here this morning visiting with us, we're thankful for you in an extra special way, and we uh, pray that you will be blessed by being together with us at this time. As I said, you're already a blessing to us. We're just trying to be the church we all read about in the Bible. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. If you have any questions about anything you see us do or hear us teach, please ask us. We hope you'll come back and be with us every time you have the opportunity. Beginning today and over the next several weeks, I want to present a series of lessons that begin with a question, what does it mean? And then different endings to that question. So what does it mean? And this morning, I want us to begin with perhaps the most, well, from a negative perspective in some people's minds, but that's really not the way to couch it either. Maybe the most serious negative consequence perspective. What does it mean to be lost? What does it mean to be lost? Well, I'm afraid that we have used the word lost so often in so many different contexts that we don't really grasp the seriousness of what the word conveys at its core. Do we really understand the seriousness of being lost? You know, we talk about sporting events, games, matches, political elections that are lost by one party or another. I've been involved in coaching for quite a number of years before I moved to this area, and I could see the difference between winning and losing being the victor and having lost, and how that, can, that reality can change almost in a moment. But you see, in such frames of reference, having lost does not end things. Not at all. Life goes on, other opportunities for success and happiness will present themselves, and there's no finality to that having lost in those contexts of application and understanding. But, and here's what we really want to focus and understand the difference between losing a baseball game or a basketball game or an election or anything like that and losing our soul. What does it mean to be lost? From a spiritual perspective, being lost is the most awful prospect imaginable. Now let me say that again for, for emphasis. Losing our soul, being lost spiritually, is the most awful prospect imaginable. Nothing else compares with it when we're talking about being lost or losing something. It's a word that should shout out to us fear and despair and hopelessness and eternal doom because that is exactly what it means and what the word and the, the concept conveys. In Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, Jesus said, The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. 
He's not talking about losing some item. Have we ever lost for a few moments our Bible? Or lost our set of keys? Or lost a watch? Or maybe our glasses? Or our phone? We lose our phone. That really sets us in panic, doesn't it? We're going to find that phone. But have we, we've lost those kinds of things, but we find them again. Almost always, don't we? And even if we don't, well, it may be inconvenient for a time, but it does not begin to compare with what Jesus came to seek and to save. And that's lost souls. Being lost spiritually is so serious that God sent his son from heaven to earth to live as man while still fully divine and die on that cross so that lost souls could be saved if they will come to him in his way. My, we need to understand as best we can what does it mean to be lost? The devil's been very skillful at just kind of clouding the issue, telling us just put it out of our minds, and so you put it out of your mind, it's out of sight, you don't think about it, you just go on day by day. But we need to understand what it means to be lost so that we can understand what it means to be saved. To be lost is to be in a place where a person is completely cut off from the presence of God. I've used the illustration many times in teaching over decades. If somehow, overnight, let's say, something happened and every indication, every reference, every representation of God and Christianity and Christ were removed from the earth, we almost cannot imagine that. We cannot grasp fully what that would be like. But you stop and think, number of schools, colleges, a number of hospitals, a whole lot of art, music, a whole, all the church buildings would be gone. All of that would suddenly be erased from the face of the earth. And also goodness, love, on and on and on. All of those qualities that God has brought to this earth by his very existence and design, suddenly gone. You're talking about a horrible place. A place where we would not, have to, we would not want to have to live. But being spiritually lost for eternity is to be in a place where a person is completely cut off from the presence of God. Even when we look at the Hadean realm, as best we can understand it, as Jesus went through the depiction in Luke chapter 16, where first Lazarus died and the rich man died also, it sounds like, virtually at the same time or on the same day. And Lazarus was that poor beggar, and that did not give him any redemptive value in and of itself. The rich man was wealthy. He feasted 
all the time. That did not mean he was, he was unrighteous or ungodly in and of itself. But obviously, when we see the ultimate results in the spiritual realm, Lazarus is in Abraham's bosom, and the rich man is in Hades, where he is experiencing torments because of the way he lived his life back on this earth physically while he was still here. Lazarus is experiencing comfort and peace and happiness and joy because of the way he lived his life in spite of being a poor beggar with sores all over his body. We look at verses 22 and 23. Jesus said the rich man also died and was buried and being in torments, plural, in Hades. That's a different Greek word than the word that is translated hell, the eternal reside of the devil and all of those who will be lost for eternity. But in Hades, it's a different Greek word again, Tartarus versus Gehenna. There is a similar kind of, of, of representation and experience for those who will end up either in hell or heaven for eternity. So Lazarus was experiencing the happiness, the joy, the peace, the comfort, and the rich man was experiencing torments in Hades. He lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And then we look at verse 26, and, beside, and, 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 and when Abraham saw, or, or rather when the rich man saw Lazarus over there, and he was experiencing himself these torments, he asked Abraham, Please send Lazarus over here. And the, the idea that just dipping his finger in some water and touching it to his tongue could bring him some relief is almost, again, unimaginable to us. But that's what he asked Abraham to do. But it, Abraham said, can't be done. He said, besides this, between us and you, there's a great gulf fixed so that those who want to go, uh, want to pass from here to you cannot nor can those from there pass to us. And so Abraham says, can't do that. I can't send him. You're in a place that is completely cut off from all of the peace and comfort and blessings that, Abraham, that Lazarus is experiencing with me as saved folks. You're in that place of the lost and we can't get to you and you can't get to us cut off from God and his comfort and his blessings. Everlastingly, as the Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning with verse 7, he portrays that final day of judgment when Jesus will come to judge all of mankind, when God will destroy the earth, when we'll all have to stand before our judge and give account of the way we've lived our lives. And so when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, these shall be punished with everlasting destruction from, cut off from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power separated from God for all of eternity. Oh, it ought, to, it ought to cause us to sober up in our thinking, in our minds, in our purpose and focus and direction in life. Jesus said that even there are going to be those who call him Lord. 
who will not be with him in heaven because they have not tried to follow him his way, as given to us by God's guidelines in his word. He says, beginning in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then here is the sobering pronouncement from the Lord himself. Depart from me. I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now they said the right words, didn't they? They called Jesus Lord. They obviously believed in him. They said, we've done many wonders in your name. But they had not followed him according to the will of God in heaven. They followed him in their mind in some way, but it was not in keeping with God's instructions as to how to come to and follow Jesus as our Lord and Savior faithfully. And so Jesus says, depart from me. So to be lost is to be in a place where a person is completely cut off from the presence of God. In Luke chapter 18, beginning with verses eight, uh, looking at verses 18 and 19, Jesus, again, in his setting during his ministry upon this earth, a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, and that is God. So Jesus established the standard of true goodness. It's from God. James goes on, and he talks about everything that is truly good in our lives being from God. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Anything that is truly good is a blessing from God. Anything that truly is good that exists in this world is from God. God is good. He, we might think of him as goodness personified. So, God being the source of all goodness, since the place of the lost, the eternal place of the lost will be devoid of God's presence, that it will also be a place absent of all that is good. And that's what I tried to get across in suggesting, try to imagine if all of the effects, all of the presence, all of the results of God and Christianity and goodness that is from God is erased all of a sudden, what would this world be like? Not a place where we'd want to be. But that's where, that's what hell is like. So just imagine the, abs the application of this truth. Absent of all that is good. Well, John also talks about God and his presence and his reality from another perspective. In 1 John chapter 1, beginning with verse 5, John the apostle wrote this. 
God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie. We lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sins. God is light. Now, again, John is speaking from a spiritual perspective. But in eternity, where the lost will be, there will be no physical light at all. It will be missing from their eternal state of existence because God will not be there. Now notice the contrast in the description of heaven and what it, what it, it is like in regards to light. Revelation chapter 21 and verse 23. The city, speaking of heaven, if you look at the context, you'll understand that, had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it, John writes. Oh, what a view he saw of heaven. The glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. Well, just as God his very presence, his nature is personification of goodness because God is totally good. His presence is so glorious that even the city of heaven itself does not need any illumination other than simply his presence and the presence of his son. The glory of God illuminated it. No wonder the reside of the lost for eternity is a place described as being of absolute, total darkness. Matthew 22, verse 13, the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. And this is the depiction of judgment and ultimately the lost being consigned to hell for eternity. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Outer darkness, if you try to if you try to research that concept, you come up with an understanding that this is darkness that is absolute, that is total. A darkness that can be felt is one way it's described. I've tried to illustrate it by saying, go into a cave, go deep into the cave where there's no light from outside, from outside shining in. And so if you're going on one of those cave tours, they will have artificial lights all along the way so you can see where you're going and you can see the features of the cave. And everyone that I have gone through at some point, the tour guide has said, he stopped us and he said, now, he's prepared us. And he said, I'm going to turn off the lights and you're going to see what it would be like in this cave with no lights on. And he would turn off the light and you can wave your hand in front of your eyes, you see absolutely nothing. It's absolute, total darkness. Now imagine that. One tour guide said he pointed, he noted that there was a stream running through the floor of that particular cave. He said there are fish in that stream. He said they're blind. Because during the off season, they would close up the cave, turn off the lights, 
And he said, now if you got caught in this cave for that period of time, that number of months, not a whole year, just a number of months, maybe five or six, when we came back and opened it back up and turned on the lights, you would be blind because your optic nerves would have ceased to function over that time of being in total, absolute darkness. But that's what the place of the lost, eternity in hell, is like. Absolute darkness. Well, the most descriptive words that we could imagine cannot describe how awful being eternally lost will be. I know there are people, they're just flippant about it, they're arrogant, they'll say, well, if I go to hell, I go to hell. They want to live the kind of life that they want to live, they know it's ungodly, they know it's unfaithful, they just want to do what they want to do, and if I end up there, so be it, you know. They don't know what they're saying. The reality of being there, stepping one foot in that particular place, would change their mind in an instant. They would be so sorrowful that they had been so careless and arrogant in their attitude and mindset through physical life that they ended up there. The most descriptive words cannot describe how awful being eternally lost will be. Look at just some of the descriptions. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 42. And will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. The idea of the gnashing of the teeth is grinding your teeth in such agony that that becomes virtually an instinctive reaction. It goes on in verse, in verse 50. And cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. In chapter 25 in verse 30, cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Can you imagine the torments, the agony of knowing that you're in that place and you're never getting out? There will never be another reality for you because of the way you lived your life in disrespect of God, your creator, who created you in his image with a soul, but you just pushed him aside out of your mind and you disrespected him through your life. And this is opposite, totally opposite, of the saved who will be in heaven. In verses 21 and 23, his Lord said to him, <coughs> Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Remember the rich man and Lazarus? Lazarus in Abraham's bosom, comfort, blessing, the rich man in torments, imagining that even Lazarus's finger dipped in water. He didn't ask for a drink of water. Just dip his finger in water and let him touch my tongue. And that could bring him some relief. In Luke chapter 16 and verse 23, being in torments in Hades, that rich man, he lifted up his eyes and saw Lazarus afar off in Abraham's bosom. The rich man described his existence as being one of torments, plural. 
And that's understandable, considering the characteristic of the place of the lost in eternity. We could read all of these. We could read of other descriptions. We could try to let our minds imagine the ultimate understanding of all of these and try to get deeper in our thinking as to just what it would be like to be lost eternally. But undoubtedly, being eternally lost will be worse than all that we have read. Because how could words adequately describe what that existence and reality will be like? I think words would, words would fail us. A thousand times worse than anything that we could experience on this earth, in this life. A thousand times worse than the deepest, darkest, most desolate, forlorn place that we could imagine. Frightening doesn't even begin to begin to describe what it will be like to be lost. The eternal destiny of the lost. What does it mean to be lost? It's a place where nobody wants to go. No matter how in the moment flippant and arrogant they are in their thinking or their statements, they don't want to go there. They don't want to be there. It's the place of lost souls. And just think about that phrase for a moment and try to grasp that in your mind. Lost souls. That's the place of the lost. In Matthew 16 and verse 26, Jesus asked, what, what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? What do you have that's expensive? What do you have that's valuable? Some folks have expensive homes, clothes with all of the high-priced tags on them. They own land. They have cars that are expensive. They have 401ks with hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions of dollars tucked away in them. Maybe they have savings accounts and checking accounts that are chucked full of tens of thousands or even hundreds of thousands of dollars. But none of that begins to approach the value of our soul. Our most valuable possession. The place of the lost, though, lost souls, unquenchable, eternal, fire, continual agony. Mark 9, verses 43 and 44, it is better for you to go into life to enter into life maimed rather than having two hands to go to hell into the fire that shall never be quenched. Luke 16 and verse 24, he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus that he may dip his, his fing, the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I'm tormented in this flame. Jude 1 and verse 7 
talking about making a comparison with Sodom and Gomorrah, how God destroyed that with raining fire and brimstone upon it. He says, as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after, gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, an example for us. Read the history in God's word. An example for us, don't let that happen to you. Suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. In Revelation 21 and verse 8, But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Graphic dramatic kind of wording and emphasis? Absolutely. We're not talking about a movie. We're not talking about a fictional novel. We're talking about reality in terms of eternity. It's time for all to get off the road to the place of the lost and come to Christ. He came into this world to seek and to save that which was lost, and that's all humanity, until they come to him and are baptized for the remission of their sins, born again spiritually, made new spiritually, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17. He gives everybody the invitation to get off that road that leads to eternal condemnation, being lost forever and come to him and be in heaven with him forever. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Lazarus experienced that rest. The rich man, exactly the opposite. Oh, if he could have gone back. Oh, if he could have had one more chance. And being where he was, let me just suggest to you, being in that place of the lost is where if your mama and, or daddy or your best friend ended up, if they could, they would send you word do not come where we are. Change your life right now. And that was exactly the request of the rich man, Luke 16, verses 27 through 30. He said to Abraham, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him, Lazarus, to my father's house, for I have five brothers that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said to, to him, they have Moses and the prophets. In other words, they have God's word, the scriptures. They need to be reading it. They need to be learning it. They need to be paying attention to it and applying it to their lives. Obediently, let them hear them. Oh, but the rich man said, no, Father Abraham. But if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But Abraham said, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, even if one comes from the dead, they won't listen to him either. And you might say, well, surely they would. 
if one of my relatives ended up lost eternally, came back and said, change your life, you don't want to be where I ended up, we, I'd listen to him. God sent his son to this earth. And most people rejected him. We need to pay attention. What does it mean to be lost? The most awful prospect that we can imagine and even beyond our imagination. If you need to be baptized into Christ this morning, don't put that off. If you're holding back a little bit because you're thinking, I, I, I'm not sure I understand it, well, then get with us, we'll study with you from God's word. If you need the prayers of the church to get back on the right track, or you can take that to God yourself privately, quit making excuses. Quit wasting time. Get off the road of the lost and come to Christ as we stand and sing. Why do you wait?